Welcome to Ask the Security Guy. Um, hopefully you're going to find us. If not, there will be an email going out later today to uh, help you find this video because we're really excited about the topic, um, even though we have the... I thought. We're going to try again here. If you find us, great. If not, there'll be a video later. Um, <laughs> you know, yes, we're a, working technology. We do, and technology has failed us immensely. Thank you very much, Google, for changing everything the way you do it forever. Um, before we get started, hopefully um, you'll see this, but one of the things I'm really excited about is we have started podcasting as the Security Guy. So if you are into podcasting and listen to podcasts when you're in the car, or at the gym, wherever, um, you can find us on all of the major podcasting sites, um, iTunes, Google, um, Spotify. Just search Ask the Security Guy and you will find us there. Absolutely. So for um, today's topic, we are looking at something called two-factor or multi-factor authentication. Yep. So Sean, tell us what that even means. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's think about passwords. Mm -hmm. So passwords in computing came in about the 1960s. Really? Yeah. Okay. Been a while. Now, what's interesting about that is passwords came in the 19, early 1960s. And in 1962, we had the first recorded incident of password theft. That was before I was born. That's kind of exciting. <laughs> before I was born, too. So. It's interesting that we see passwords and password theft right on the heels of each other, right yep. from the very beginning. And if you look throughout history, the use of authentication, you know, a challenge and a response, has always been there. Mm -hmm. you know, the enemy at the gates, you know, authentication to, you know, what's the password, what's the open sesame, was a like a childhood example of that. Yeah. So, so this idea of something you have, something you know, or even something you are has been around for a very long time mm -hmm. and the use of it in technology is just really an expansion of an old practice so when it comes to computing technology we have this idea of a one-factor authentication your username and your password yep. something you know okay well sometimes well ideally hopefully password managers I don't well, know but we'll get to that, and that's another topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sure beats the you know the sticky notes that I find on people's monitors or under the keyboards or under the mouse pads or the variety of other places that mm -hmm. I have found passwords written down. And it's especially convenient when the username and password combination are there. Um, for me as a hacker, um, it, it's quite enjoyable mm -hmm. because it makes my life so much simpler. Um, so flash forward to where we are today. Um, also, let's see, in 1986, the first uh, two-factor authentication was introduced onto the market. Nice. And that was through RSA Secure ID. Although back, so what that is, it's a little, it's a little key fob type thing. Okay. And it displays a code based on time mm -hmm. and, and, you know, an algorithm and a sequence that drives that number. 
And what you would do is you would log into your workstation, and your workstation would have the software that paired with the software on your this little fog you carried. Okay. So you would enter in your username and your password, and then whatever number was showing up on this fob. And that was the original two-factor authentication. Now, it is still in existence. Yeah. RSA is still out there. They're still doing their thing. Secure ID still exists. It's gone through some iterations. It's had some bad hacks over the years. But overall, they're still there. You know, and as with any company that gets hacked, they learned or they fail. In this case, they learned. Um, so more generically, what is two-factor? Yeah, what is multi-factor? Or so, you know, we have 2FA, we have MFA. We, I'm sure there'll be another acronym before too much longer. There's, there's too many FAs out there. That didn't sound right. No, we keep going. <laughs> anyway. All right, moving on. Um, Two-factor authentication uh, generically means something you have and something you know, or something you are and something you know. So biometrics, something you are. Mm -hmm. uh, something you have. It could be an RSA secure ID. It could be your cell phone. Oh. It could be a little key fob or a YubiKey from Google with you know some little token on it. You plug into your computer that you know says, okay, now I have my username, my password, my YubiKey, and it's going to look for all three and say you're in. Right. Um, Two-factor authentication means simply that it's two pieces. So it's your one factor, which is usually your username and password, and then a second factor, which can be a one-time code on your phone. It could be Google Authenticator that you have on your phone. It could be a text message you get mm -hmm. to your phone. It could be a code that is emailed to your personal email address. There's a variety of ways it can be accomplished, but it's the idea of it's two things, something you have and something you know, or something you know and something you get. Right. Uh, banks have gotten really good about that. Yes. So credit card companies and banks yep. are doing fantastic work with this um, and making it really accessible for everyone. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a cell phone that can take text messages, no problem. We'll send it to your email address. Don't have either one, they'll call you. And an automated system will actually call you and give you a number that you then punch into whatever screen you're on. And it's good for a certain short period of time, like 10 mm -hmm. or 15 minutes. So those are all bits that work. And the reason they work is if a hacker gets a hold of a password database and say they got a hold of APUs and got all of our passwords and figured out how to crack them, and but we had multi-factor in, in authentication in place and enforced and you were all using it the fact that someone had that doesn't no good unless you use your password other places which you should never do correct so assuming that you've only ever used one password for one place and you have multi-factor turned on then what that means is without that second factor or a third factor if we decide to do something like that for mm -hmm. more secure data. Having only one piece of that puzzle does me no good. Right. And I think that's the biggest piece for people to understand is layers. Yes. Layers of security, mm -hmm. not just a password. So but, in security, we talk about this principle of defense mm -hmm. in depth. Yep. And it sounds so simple, and it is actually really simple. But the concept is multiple layers of security. Any one by the by itself is not that great. You know, it's it's not designed to stop everything. 
But when you start stacking them on top of each other, all of a sudden it becomes really hard to get through. Because, okay, now I got through this layer. Now, now I got another layer. Now I got another layer. And you have to keep drilling down through this stack. So, and again, the intent of security protocols in general, you're not trying to be the most secure guy out there. You're trying to be secure enough so mm -hmm. that the attacker will go somewhere else. Yeah, because yeah, you don't want to become that challenge of, oh, they must have something really important and I yeah. want to get it. <laughs> because yeah. that's kind of the mentality of hackers. And some well, of them, and some. some of them, not yeah. all. And some, yeah. Others, it's just. <laughs> it's just about the money. Yeah. So for either for either personality type, if it's the financially driven or the challenge driven, you don't want to present a challenge. No. You want to be annoying enough to the financially driven that they'll go somewhere else. Because frankly, you're not worth the time and effort to invest in cracking your stuff. Or the challenge type is, well, I know I can get it, but it's really not that much fun. Yeah. So either way, it's a win. They go somewhere else. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I don't want them in my stuff. <laughs> so we, we, we talked about what is two-factor. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of is becoming very obvious why it's important. Yes. Um, you know, when it comes to your credit cards and your bank accounts, um, it gets annoying when, you know, I open up a browser and my banking, you know, login says, I don't recognize this computer. Yep. Let me send you a text message. Right. Annoying. But I want to keep the little bit of money I have, so I deal with it. Right. Um, what would you recommend as best practices for us when it comes to two-factor or multi-factor authentication? Well, I think probably for most of us, the simplest thing to do is to enable a text message with mm -hmm. your cell phone. Um, if you don't have a, a smartphone or you don't want to have text messages coming into that device, um, you can always have them emailed to a, a specific email account that is separate from whatever you're using. Uh, one of the big things that I recommend is that whatever your personal email account is, make sure you have some form of two-factor or multi-factor turnaround for that. Because that's where all your password reset emails go, and that's what really is kind of the keys to the kingdom. So... This idea that we've had for years and years and years and years of using a single password to protect all your stuff. No. I mean, we've talked about before a number of times where we've said this idea of passwords is dead. Yeah, that's well, what we got. Right, and transitioning away from it is going to be painful and time-consuming and expensive and costly and blah, 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 blah. It's gonna require huge changes to behavior. Well, it's been around since the 60s. Of course, it's gonna require some changes. It's a long time. Yeah. Um, so it's it's going to take some time. In the meantime, we have biometrics, which are improving. They're not foolproof, but they are improving. Um, we have face recognition and retinal scanning, uh, both of which are improving. Uh, face recognition now, uh, some of the newer technologies are actually 3D mapping. Uh, some of the original ones you could fool with a, a picture. Now you can't. The problem is, they if you change your appearance, so for me, if I were to grow my beard out and be super bushy and take away my glasses, it would be problematic. Yeah. yeah I'm not a fan of facial. I just don't. So, does it work? Yes. Is it, has it gotten a lot better? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because it does combinations of infrared and 3D and regular camera. Mm -hmm. um, so, the infrared side can work, work through some of those issues. But it's still not quite there. 
unless it's a really expensive implementation, which they exist. They, but not but they for us. Pretty, well, they're, they're cost prohibitive. Yeah. Um, so, but so um, Apple and Android both have pretty good fingerprint scanners now. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Some of the original problems with some of the early fingerprint scanners was they actually stored an image of your, your fingerprint, which is problematic because now that's data that you can't change that if it was compromised, creates a real problem. Yeah. The way those fingerprint scanners work now is they store data points about your fingerprint. That by itself means nothing. So if somebody gets a hold of these data points about your fingerprint, who cares? Kind of. But it's that combination of things, right? So you you have your username and password. That's a pair. That's something you know. Something you have would be your smartphone. Something you are typically falls in the category of some form of biometrics. And one of the newer things in the biometric field is they're talking now about behavioral biometrics where they analyze things like speech patterns or okay. uh, hand movements. So do you, you know, talk with your hands <laughs> like I do? Yes, so do I. So, yeah, that would be not um, good either. <laughs> but you can also monitor your gait, how you walk. All things that are very, very difficult to duplicate because those things, those things tend to be far more unique yeah. to a person and very difficult to duplicate. Exactly. Yeah, that's... Interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, it's not a proven technology either. It's, yeah. it's, it's being explored right now. But, I mean, some of the challenges they're facing is people change over time. Yeah. Oh, depending on my back, I could walk totally different tomorrow. Exactly. So, or your speech patterns could be affected by how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a cold or whatever. So, yeah. I think I'm sticking with the fingerprint. <laughs> so. so it's, it's a very simple concept of something you have, something you know, right? Or something you are and something you know. But it's those combinations of things. Mm -hmm. Two-factor is usually just a pairing of two. Multi-factor means you have multiple things. Yeah. Um, so banks, what they're going to look at, sometimes you'll see this, if you log in from a computer you've never used before to access your bank, it's going to say, I don't recognize this computer. Yep, it gets real aggravated. <laughs> Right. And I'm glad. I, it's as annoying as it could be. I, yes, I'm glad. Well, that could be considered a form of multi-factor mm -hmm. because on the last computer you logged into, it has set a cookie on your computer that says, okay, you've logged in successfully from this computer before, and we acknowledge that. So that's kind of transparent to you. You, don't, you typically don't see that. But that's something that's happening in the background that's providing another layer of that, that security stack, if you will. So it's pretty simple in its use. Mm -hmm. It's either a text message with a code. Yep. And then the code is usually a six to nine digit code that you're just going to type in on the login screen. Yep. Um, it can send you an email with a code, or mm -hmm. it can send you a link to click on, an extra link to click on uh, to a specified email address. Um, they can do a phone call uh, to you. That works too. And then one of the big questions we get is, when are we doing that here at APU? Yep. Well, I'm very happy to report that APU and Google have been working very closely together over mm -hmm. actually the last couple of years. And because we use single sign-on here at APU, um, it has taken us some time to work with Google to figure out an appropriate scenario that's going to have the right combination of technologies and how they work together Good. to make this work. Exciting. 
but I'm pleased to report that the engineering team and Google have really come up, I think, with a solid roadmap, and we're looking forward to it in the very near future. Yeah, because you know we we don't have that here, and it, at times can be problematic. Right. Um, I did want to jump back to uh, ask a question mm -hmm. uh, and just kind of point out a lot of times when you log into your bank account and it'll have a little checkbox. Remember this computer. Mm -hmm. And most of them are really good to say, don't check this. This is a public computer. Right. But is your overall feeling if this is my home computer at my you know home office, should I check that box to remember my computer? If it's if it is your personal home computer that nobody else uses ever. Mm -hmm. Okay. If it is your work computer, absolutely not. No. <laughs> because even if it is your work computer, people can log in for support reasons. Other people can log in to different profiles on your computer, which doesn't necessarily give them access to your stuff, but it does present a more increased risk. Um, but as far as you know, using your work computer to access those personal things, you can. Mm -hmm. I would not recommend using the remember this computer right. or the remember this. Yeah. Treat it like a public computer. Yeah. Short that's answer. that's good. That's good to know, because you know I think, okay, I'll own it. Sometimes I do need to check my bank account at work. <laughs> you well, know, so yeah, it's not uncommon. Yeah. So multi-factor, very important. Pretty Helps simple. Keep, pretty simple, and it, it's really improved. I mean, yeah. when Google first introduced it, it was a nightmare. Um, how they handled it, but they have improved, um, and it's been nicer. Well, a, lot, a lot of organizations, their early implementations of it were so horrible to work with. I mean, they nobody wanted to use it. Yeah, it was just too much, too much work. And we we've talked about multiple times with security comes inconvenience. Mm -hmm. But as a vendor like Google, your bank, if you make the inconvenience so much, people aren't going to use it. Well, and that's that's the, the tough thing, right? Because security and convenience are always at odds. Yep. We, and the goal with multi-factor and the goal with two-factor has been for years is how do we make this so easy to get along with that people will use it and not mind? Right. And or just opt out. Um, but increasingly, especially with new regulations like GDPR, with PCI. With other those wonderful acronyms yeah, that you don't want to know. Yeah, basically with all these different regulatory bits that are coming down the pike, it's becoming more of a requirement mm -hmm. than an opt-in. Yeah, and it really is for our safety and mm -hmm. the security of our information, our finances, yeah. health records, all of that. Yeah. So we see a lot of parallel efforts going on. You know, some efforts are how do we make this this security that is really really good, very very easy to get along with. Mm -hmm. On the other side, you have you know regulatory bodies and, and legislation bodies saying we're going to require you to secure yourself better than you already are. Yeah. So they're coming together and saying, okay, it's a requirement, but how do we make it better? Yeah. So there's a lot of improvements in the field. Um, That's and good. If if you, you Google through their security challenge, if you have a Google account on your personal side, it will ask you sometimes, hey, mm -hmm. let's take the security checkup and walk through it. Take the survey. Yeah, do it. Um, it's yeah. actually quite good. It gives you a lot of visibility into your stuff that you may not know. And it does a pretty good job of explaining what it all is. Mm -hmm. um, not fantastic. I mean, there are some things that are just going to be odd. Yeah. But, and, um, but it, we always have the support desk. We have myself. We have Holly. We, yep. We're happy to answer any questions you may have about that. 
Um, but your bank, your credit card company, your um, even your retirement fund yeah. offers two-factor authentication mm -hmm. now in most cases. Yeah, so, ours does. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. Our our retirement system does offer two-factor. Um, and I'm aware of several other retirement systems that do as well. Good. Well, Sean, thank you. I hopefully um, you found us and um, <laughs> can enjoy. Yeah, understand a little bit better what two-factor authentication is and how to use it. And again, as Sean said, you can always reach out to us. So with that, I unfortunately do have to walk toward the screen to shut down the the uh, webcast, but. We'll cut that out and post. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Have a great day. Uh, we will hopefully see you um, in September, which is scary, just right around the right corner. Around the corner. Um, again, we are podcasting these um, shows now, so you can also check us out there. Just search Ask the Security Guy. Have a great day. All right. Thanks.